0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman. Man, the season is getting close, and in fact... We're recording this on Thursday. There's an actual college football game tomorrow night, Cal-Hawaii, if you can believe that.
2: Cannot wait. Cannot wait for
1: that game. This is going to be the most anticipated game between two teams that I picked to have a losing record uh, in the history of college football just because it is a college football game. And it counts.
2: You know, I mean, look, I I want to see it. I want to see how Cal – try you know does after Jared Goff they lost their top six receivers I think Davis Webb will do really well there
1: Davis Webb is definitely the source of curiosity for me you know he he had a good run at Texas I believe one of the ESPN draft gurus had him as the number one senior quarterback so that's a heck of a grad transfer pickup uh for Cal the only problem is why he's so bad that he could go out and throw for 500 yards and I won't know what that means exactly
2: yeah but you know what it's the f- first week of the season and you know you take stuff with a grain of salt either way I mean it's also the beginning of the Nick Rolovich era in Hawaii right and you know he's an interesting character he's he's rising up pretty fast a former prolific quarterback himself so lots of reasons for us to for us to be excited about our first game even if it is a, even if it's half a world away
1: it's amazing how much college football can change the college football power structure can change in a relatively short amount of time. I was just thinking about Hawaii and Colt Brennan. You know, in 2007, they were undefeated going into the bowl game, and now they're one of the worst teams in FBS. And then it dawned on me that that same year, 2007, Kansas went to the Orange Bowl, went 12-1. and Now they're easily the worst Power 5 conference team. And I'm sure we could find some examples in the other direction. Well, Baylor would be the most obvious that went in the other direction. It, it, it's interesting. You know, everybody's just so it's always the same teams, Alabama, Florida state, Ohio state, et cetera. But there's some changes in in the rest of the hierarchy. Okay. So also some interesting news came out um, Thursday morning, Pat 40 of Yahoo reporting that the NCA's never ending investigation into Ole Miss has now, uh, which they pretty much reopened after the whole Laramie Tunzel draft night debacle has now, gotten even further and they have to the point where they have been interviewing some players at other SEC schools who were recruited by Ole Miss offering them immunity basically to testify against Ole Miss clearly they have reason to believe that Ole Miss has been breaking the rules and recruiting and and I actually got to give them credit you know with the limited resources they have and the limited powers they have that's actually a pretty creative way to get some dirt on somebody go get You know, go give players another school immunity to rat on their rival.
2: Yeah, they're still going to have to have some some documented proof on some of these things, because if you think about it, let's play hypothetical on this. Let's say you, you go to USC and the UCLA is being investigated and you have immunity. You you think that that is going to stand up where it just becomes well? I think this school did this or whatever because there's plenty of school, plenty of players who would love to to uh, zing their rival.
1: Well, okay, now I don't not privy to the details. The NCAA doesn't give away details of their investigation, but I don't think this was a blind like. Let's just I don't start. think it is. Either, I don't think they I, pulled I, up rivals and started seeing who took visits there. I mean, they must have in the course of investigating the Tunzel stuff been given reason to believe that certain players got extra benefits i assume that's what they're investigating and then and then they have the ability where they like laramie tunzel is under no obligation to talk to them at this point i'm sure he didn't but if you're an active college player um you have to cooperate it's it's the ncaa rules you you know you remember um des bryant infamously lost a year or lost his whole season for not cooperating um trell Pryor got in trouble for not cooperating so these guys have to cooperate, but I, but like I said, I don't think they would just blindly show up on their door. These are guys who must well, have been implicated. One of the
2: things, one of the things I've heard is that uh, a, a pair of SEC coaches, at least two I know of, um, have spoken to the NCAA about Ole Miss. Now, did they give them names? There's one player that, that I had heard had talked to the NCAA who was in the SEC, um, and I'm trying. I don't kind of want to like out the Particular player, but I still think that they're going to have to pro- provide some sort of documentation more than just you know somebody coming forward and saying yeah they did this, but they're going to have to show that what they did was was um, you know more than just more than just an accusation.
1: Let me just back up here a second. Something you said there is going to register as breaking news. I have a feeling you are reporting that coaches from other SEC schools have been. Interviewed by the NCA about Ole Miss,
2: they have talked to. They, I, that's what I, to my knowledge, that's what I understood. Yes,
1: that's actually pretty stunning. Uh, that's because frankly, that's considered. I, mean, I don't know who contacted whom there, but you remember way back when Philip Fulmer testified as a secret witness against Alabama. That was considered what a what a you know what a traitor, what a turncoat, uh, ratting out the other school. Um, it w- It would. I tell you this. It would. Oh. There be- was a level of acrimony
2: and frustration with Ole Miss and the NCAA and how it's how it was handled at that point. That I think that was the impetus where, from what I understand, some coaches had gone forward to talk to them. Now was- I don't know, I don't know the, um, you know, what they could prove. I don't know if they gave them a roadmap of of what they feel like Ole Miss has has been guilty of. Those things I don't know. but
1: if It will I, certainly I'll... feed the conspiracy theories of the Ole Miss fans. As you know, any time a school gets in trouble, their fans rationalize it away and, and say that the NCAA is out to get them. And the Ole Miss fan talking point that I can see is that this, is, this would not be happening if, it were, if they were an established power. People are upset that Ole Miss is rocking the boat and beating Alabama and beating LSU, and they want to bring down this upstart uh, in the do you NCAA. think there's any truth to
2: that assertion?
1: I would, um, okay, I would say no from the NCAA standpoint. I mean, that's all you have to do is look at the list of schools the NCAA has punished over the years: Alabama, USC, Ohio State, Miami. They don't really discriminate by, um, you know, contrary to that famous Jerry Tarkanian quote about Cleveland State, they're not afraid to punish the big name schools. That being said, what you just described, right about Coaches in the conference being kind of um, peeved about Ole Miss. That definitely reeks of, you know, well, Ole Miss can't possibly be getting these guys. We, you know, like would they turn? Would those same coaches turn in Alabama? Would they turn in Florida? It seems to me that Ole Miss is a little bit easier target.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a definite answer to it. To be honest. You know, uh, I go back to the quote Ogeron had when they were recruiting Joe McKnight and saying, we're getting investigated if he comes here. And it was because it seems like it's at a left field or a curveball for a top recruit to go to a school that traditionally doesn't get the top recruits.
1: Well, that's how this all started in 2013, that that they were able to get uh, Laquan Treadwell to come down from Illinois, that they were able to get... uh, Tunzel, I believe, was the top offensive lineman in the whole class that year. Um, you know, raises people's suspicions. Do you think, in hindsight, Hugh Freeze regrets that tweet where he basically invited? It said, "If you got something on us, come, you know, bring it." Like basically I, invited I, I, everybody to 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 investigate them.
2: I, I doubt it because I think this is, some of this stuff would have happened. It wasn't like Hugh Freeze, you know. Gary Hart had that old, you know, kind of dared people to follow him, and they did. I don't think it's—I think all this stuff would have come forth whether he sent out a tweet or not.
1: Well, I don't know where this will head. We don't know the specifics of what exactly they found or are trying to find. But one thing it does mean is that this is just going to keep dragging on. Um, If they're only now in the—because remember, they had gotten the notice of allegations, which would have put it on course to actually have a hearing and get this done with— And then the Tunzel draft night kind of reset the clock. So if they are still interviewing people, uh, Ole Miss is is probably a year or more away from having any sort of resolution to this. And this has been going on since
2: 2013. Yeah. I mean, if if you're an Ole Miss person, that's probably the worst thing that can happen because then it's just the dark cloud. I mean, I go back a little bit to to the Miami Nevin Shapiro case. And I think the hardest thing for them was it hung over the place for a couple of years. And I, I feel like that kind of, you know, threw everything there into a little bit of chaos. Well,
1: let me ask you this. Here, here, let me throw this out there. And I have no basis to think that this is happening, but it's just an interesting idea. You know, Ole Miss could be pretty good this year. For all we know, they could, they could be a 10-2 team but I'm not predicting that. I think they might take a little bit of a step back. They lost so many key guys, but of course they recruited well. They should be in good shape going forward. They open with Florida State in Orlando. Week three, they play Alabama in Oxford. Week four, they play Georgia. If they were to get off to a pretty rough start, a one and 3 type start, and if they have reason to believe that they're going to get busted for something major, do you just go ahead and take a postseason ban voluntarily so that that's out of the way and then whenever they finally do resolve this you don't you're not in danger of that happening again yeah i
2: mean that's a, i think that's a very real realistic possibility you do you know, they, yeah i think it is you know the question i always wonder about let's say there's a big difference between 10 and 2 that's 10 and 2 potentially could even get them into a, into the playoff Right. But 10-2 and two is probably gets you into it, and they've been in New York Six-State Bowls the last two years.
1: Here's the schedule, let's, right? Florida State, Wofford, Alabama, let's say they start 1-2. and two. Georgia at home, I would think you'd favor Ole Miss right now, but we don't know really how good either of those teams are going to be. Let's just say they win it, 2-2. Two and two. And they beat Memphis, and they're 3-2. But then they play back-to-back road games against Arkansas and LSU, which they could easily lose both of those.
2: If they get to the three loss period and they're four and three or whatever they would be, yeah, I, then it would, you know, if all these signs and Ole Miss should have a sense of this by, by mid October, I would think if they get to that point, then I think they, you know, probably have to say, all right, you know, maybe this is, this is the season we, we, uh, sacrifice, sacrifice.
1: Miami did that in, uh, was not as good a season, by the way. Well, they know. were 6 they, First of all, they waited to find, till the end. And then when they were, realized they were going to be 6-6, six and six, they went ahead and banned themselves. That was also a much more—I mean, we all knew, you know, it was public because of the Yahoo, Nevin Shapiro. We knew what, what was at stake there, and we knew it was bad. You know, Ole Miss, for the most part, has tried to downplay this. You know, their public comments from Hugh Freeze, from the AD about at least the initial round of allegations— I and mean, you remember, it was basically to blame it on Houston Nutt, and uh, and and claim that what's Hugh Freeze's line? It, well, nothing in here indicates to me that guys were trying to intentionally cheat. You know, they accidentally broke the rules. So you're not going to ban yourself from the postseason if you truly believe it's that ticky tack. You would have to, whatever new things are being uncovered, you would have to accept that. Yep, this was bad, bad enough that they might ban us. Well, it feels like this has been the week where of naming quarterback starters right from Monday through Wednesday, maybe it'll continue today, a whole bunch of teams out there. The coaches have named their starting quarterback, and oftentimes it was the guy you expected all along, but then, you know, they just formalized it. But have there been any that really, truly surprised you? Like, wow, I really thought they were going to go with the other guy
2: not really. I mean I had talked to some people inside Stanford, so I had heard, you know, that a lot of us had assumed going into the spring that Keller Christ was going to win the job. And he, from what I was told, was really outplayed by Ryan Burns and, you know, that kinda carried over. So David Shaw named him the starter, although I guess, you know, you'll see both play. And I don't know exactly how they feel about, you know, that moving forward. I mean whoever whoever, you know, is the guy is going to have Christian McCaffrey and and that's a good that's a good security blanket to have. Was there one for you that kind of was like, hey, this one, this one's kind of interesting?
1: Yeah, I mean, Stanford was definitely a mi- at least a mild surprise. Though I, my guess is, by David Shaw saying they're going to play both, the expectation is that Chris will eventually beat him back out, but we'll see. Yeah, the one that surprised me was BYU, um, and and to you know give Taysom Hill a lot of credit. Not many people could come back from as many injuries as he has. Sixth year starter or sixth year player. And, you know, he's had some great moments in his career. Everybody remembers him shredding Texas and, you know, getting Texas' defensive coordinator fired, basically. But that was a long time ago. I just assumed Tanner Mangum was the guy now after what he did last season. And Taysom Hill would get some, I don't know, some, some token minutes, if you will. But, no, he won the job.
2: You know, I had always compared him. You know, I think he's a faster version of Tim Tebow. You know, he's not that accurate a passer but he is a terrific runner and the team rallies around him and he does make some plays, you know, in the past game as well. You know, uh, another interesting aspect of that is that, you know, they've really changed the offense from what I heard from, from with Ty Detmer coming back to, to BYU to run it. And I would have thought that would have favored Mangum more than the style for, for Taysom Hill. By the way, it's quite a
1: 26th birthday
2: gift for him. The day he turns 26 was the day they announced that news. <laughs> here's,
1: here's how long Taysom Hill has been a college uh, quarterback. He initially signed with Stanford to play for Jim Harbaugh.
2: Yeah, you know what's? <laughs> there's a couple other interesting factors on that. I'm going to read to you who were the top quarterbacks when he was coming out of high school. And this shows you how. One of them was Josh Nunes, who was at Stanford, who was part of their quarterback battle a long time ago. Also in that class, the number two quarterback in most people's eyes, Garrett Gilbert. Matt Barkley was in that class. Taj Boyd, your favorite, Logan Thomas.
1: Derek Carr was in that class. These are guys who have been out of college now for three years. Yeah, it's it's at a least, long time. Oh, four years. Matt Barkley's last year was twenty twelve. Brock Osweiler was in that class. So he went on his mission for two years. He came back. I was actually at his just coincidentally at his first BYU game, because it was Mike Leach's first game for Washington State on a Thursday night. Um, you went to that game? Yes, I did. Two thousand twelve opener. Uh, Joe Tess was on the on the call and and I Taysom Hill came in. I mean he wasn't the starter, he came in at one point as like the change of pace guy. So, I mean, just think about that, 2012, 12, 13, 20, that's, that's, you that's know, five seasons now he's played in a game. He will have played in the game for BYU, uh, obviously got the extra year because of – I can't even remember which injuries are the reason why he's getting the extra year. There's been so many of them. So good for
2: him. Um, hey, just looking at this, Taysom Hill was part of probably one of the most underrated recruiting classes that anybody in the Pac-12, if not in the country, probably had. In that decade, also in that class was Stanford. Shane Scove turned out to be a really good player. Zach Ertz, tight end, terrific player. Terrence Stevens was solid. Stefan Taylor was a really good running back. Tyler Gaffney, you know, he's still in the NFL. He's playing well. Uh, Ryan Hewitt, he was productive for them. Josh Morrow was productive. Trent Murphy had a terrific career. Ben Gardner had a terrific career. That's a lot of, lot of talent. And a lot of those guys were two and three star recruits.
1: Yeah, do you happen to have up where that class was ranked?
2: Uh, according to 247, it was actually the third-ranked class in the in the Pac-12, and it was ranked 17th. Oh,
1: so. okay, so it wasn't like 46th and they, these guys, you know. But, seven, I mean, 17th is pretty good. And actually, very surprising to think about it in hindsight, because if they signed in 2009, I mean, Stanford hadn't even had their first winning season yet in this run.
2: No, and it, it, uh, I think a lot of those guys bought into you know what you said with the vision of, of Jim Harbaugh and everything, and obviously it played out. Um, you know, I think that that class, and I'm looking at rivals, also had them as that was 20th. But I mean, what was what you looked at is so if I if I said to you, who would you guess were the biggest names? I rattled off some of those. Who were the highest rated guys? Who would you have guessed?
1: Among those players? Yeah. Josh Morrow was a very athletic guy. I'm wondering if he was one of the more higher-rated guys.
2: No, he was a three-star guy. Their, their highest-rated recruit was actually a player I honestly don't remember much of, Jeremy Roberts. He was a wide receiver from Long Beach. And then after that, Stephon Taylor was a four-star guy.
1: But By, by the way, this whole discussion is just like gold candy for one of our most loyal listeners who— is on the Stanford staff and deals with recruiting. Uh, He's loving this right now.
2: Yeah. Hey, Hey, you We're, we're glad we're uh, making your, your ride home a little more enjoyable. Um, Anyway. Yeah. Those guys obviously had a really good eye for developing talent as well. Trent Murphy, three-star guy. I mean, there's just, it's just very impressive to see. And this was one of those foundation classes. Um, You know, Zach Ertz, three-star just, it just, it's impressive when, what the evaluation side does. So, sorry for that tangent, Stu. I didn't mean to walk you right. down that road. Just
1: real quick, some of the other notable ones. Trace McSorley um, named the starter at Penn State. We saw him a little bit in the bowl game. That's not entirely surprising. Tyler O'Connor, also Michigan State, fifth-year senior, uh, played, well, you know, was the quarterback or one of the two quarterbacks when they knocked off Ohio State last season. So that's kind of a you know it's this guy has experience it's not like he's uh you know I remember the the year they really struggled was the year between Kirk Cousins and Connor Cook uh getting the job they really struggled that year in between you would think and and this was in my mailbag this week because I once again am underestimating Michigan State you would think they'll have a smoother uh, transition with quarterback this season
2: yeah, um, another one that was earlier in the week, I think was over the weekend. Max Brown has been named the starter at USC. Not a big surprise. I think what surprised some people was how close the gap that uh, Sam Darnold made it. And Clay Helton, the coach there, did talk about how they will work in some packages for Sam Darnold, who's more athletic than Max Brown. So, going to be uh, and and there's some still big uh, quarterback battles still out there. Obviously, Alabama's the huge one. Notre Dame is going to sort itself out, we think, at some point in the season. So those are, – those, are, and Georgia is another one to keep an eye on as well.
1: Georgia is a very interesting one. Does Jacob Eason get the nod right from week one or not?
2: Oh, and tex- technically Texas hasn't named a guy yet. Either. I'm kind
1: of morbidly curious about Auburn and the fact that they still have three guys in the mix this late into the preseason – I started watching Last Chance You on Netflix. Everybody's raving about the uh, documentary mm-hmm. about East Mississippi uh, JUCO, and of course, one of the uh, you know one of the stars of the show is John Franklin III, who's now in the mix at Auburn. I've I've only made it through one episode where he came in off the bench and lit it up. So. I don't know. I mean, we talked, I believe, on the last podcast about how down we are in Auburn. And this is a big reason why you would think one of those guys would have emerged by now.
2: Yeah, I know. And it's it's crazy how little of the benefit of the doubt Gus Malzahn is getting now after a one one really disappointing year. Um, I would, well, I'd well like two to... of
1: the three contenders were were the guys that that were the quarterbacks last year. Jeremy Johnson and Sean White and struggled so miserably. So that's one reason for lack of faith. But you're right. For the longest time, he was the quarterback guy. He's the guy who coached Cam Newton, the guy who, uh, you know, Nick Marshall was going to be a DB at Georgia. He turned him into a quarterback that took Auburn to the national title game. How quickly that benefit of the doubt has disappeared.
2: Yeah, and so speaking of Gus Malzahn, I'm going to transition to this. Uh, I had my hot seat rankings to enter the season. I have Gus Malzahn number two right behind Daryl Hazel. He's making five million dollars a year. He's only two years removed from having them in the national title game. Yeah, the difference think,
1: between him and Daryl Hazel is pretty stark. I think Daryl Hazel has won, I think, two Big Ten games in
2: three years. The expectations are sky high at Auburn, and I think, think that when you have a really bad year like they did last year, perception-wise, it was worse. Now, what I the reason why I had him higher up is because there's some other guys on that list. Charlie Strong would be one of them who I think have a chance, have a better chance of getting some momentum. Whereas I look at that Auburn schedule, I see them starting one and three, and that doesn't even include all the road games they have against good teams coming up. Any name on there that of uh, the, those 10 or 11 guys surprise you?
1: Um, Let's see. Let's see. It's more the order, I guess, that I'd be surprised at. You have Kevin someone pretty far down the list, and maybe that's because you expect him to be really good. But, you know, I, I would argue that he's actually on a hotter seat than Gus Malzon because he hasn't been in the national title game, and they've invested all this money in the program um, based off his initial success. And, of course, just the picture, the, the perception of instability there with all the quarterbacks transferring, the assistant coaches getting into trouble. So you have Gus on number two. You have him down at number nine. I'm not saying I would reverse the order, but I do think someone's think on a hotter the hotter seat. It really
2: A lot of that has to do with the volatility of how Auburn is run. And as I said, I don't think Auburn's going to be very good this year. I think A&M will be, will be solid. I don't think Auburn will be.
1: You've got Mike Mac- McIntyre from Colorado, number three. Uh, that probably is true, but I would say that's not fair. I mean, the... The mess he inherited. We talked about how bad Kansas is. That's what Colorado was when he took over, what three years ago, and yeah, I mean they haven't gotten over the hump. They haven't been to a ball game yet. Um, I believe they're four nine last year. You would have thought they'd be a little bit better than that. In fact, you have it here. He's ten and twenty seven, and just two and twenty five in Pac twelve play. But it's what's the two and twenty
2: five, the reason- <laughs> Pac twelve, that I think really stings. And there's, I think patience is starting to wear. They need to have some good things start to happen.
1: Well, I actually picked them not to finish sixth. I picked them fifth in the South. So who would so you, you
2: have, have an even worse year than them?
1: ASU. Okay. Who, who, in all honesty, I don't have a good read on. Maybe they're actually going to be pretty good, but it just feels like <laughs> momentum has gotten away from Todd Graham. Do you think McIntyre has to get to six wins this year to save his job?
2: I think he does. I mean, I, he did a really good job at San Jose State but i just think that you know they've upgraded facilities now i think people need to see some good things start to happen and i think it's a tougher sell to go you know if they go 5 and 7 i think maybe he'd have a chance of surviving but from what i heard now there there's some expectations there that they got to get something going there and it's it's just their offensive line isn't very good going into going into this year i think there's some concerns there I just um, I don't know I like Mike McIntyre a lot and that's one of the things that I don't love about doing these hot seat lists is a lot of these guys on there I do you know you know like and have good relationships with it's tough to point and say you know I think this guy is in jeopardy of losing his job and I should say this on this list I don't I I included Mark Stoops in there I don't think Mark Stoops Mark Stoops has a big big buyout I don't think they would pull, they would pull the trigger on him if he goes three and nine this year. But I think it, his, his seat is definitely warming up. And if he, he doesn't get it going to, the, to a bowl game, because South Carolina is way down, Missouri is down, obviously Vandy is way down. Like That division is much—the only school that is better since Stoops got hired in the division is Tennessee. Everybody else is worse, I'd, I'd argue. And I'm actually so,
1: now just noticing that half your list is from the SEC. Uh, Les Miles, Kevin someone. Mark Stoops, Derek Mason, uh, and Gus Malzahn. Five of the – you have a tie for 10th, so I guess it's five of 11. Let me ask you this, though. Again, it seems like you are kind of – you're kind of modifying the list a little bit based on how you actually think they're going to do because Les Miles was, you know, inches away from getting fired last year and you only have him tied for 10th.
2: Yeah, because I, I think – you know, I almost felt like a lot of these guys, I don't think Charlie, Charlie Strong is going to get fired either. You know, I those last, like three of the last four names on the list are guys, I think their teams will show enough improvement that I think they will retain their jobs. The only one I'm not of that group at the bottom of the list that I'm not sure about is Dana Holgerson because I just don't think his AD is supporting him. I mean, they actually had a pretty good year for West Virginia. I had this kind of... Saw some, you know, probably riled up some West Virginia fans when I said, "They, that's a much tougher job now than it was when they're in the Big East." When they're in the Big East, they were, by the time they left, they were the heavyweight of the Big East. And you have five non-conference games in this league. You have three, and outside of the Kansas schools and Iowa State, you are the tough, toughest job to win, to win at. I think, resource-wise, including you know, recruiting base. So, was there anybody you? You didn't see on the list who you think would have thought would have been on there.
1: Yeah, I'll give you two names. Mike Riley and Paul Johnson. I I thought of Paul
2: Johnson for sure. Mike Riley hasn't, I mean, this is, what year is this for him there?
1: It's only his second year, but it was such a bad first year that, I mean, there were a lot of Nebraska fans that wanted to fire him almost as, there was so much skepticism over him in the first place. How
2: do you fire Mike Riley after two seasons though?
1: What if they go five and seven again?
2: Still, you got to give him more. I mean, this isn't a first-time head coach; he's a proven guy. It's also a guy who, you know, I I think you got to. It's not like he has some kind of embarrassed the program in a way, you know, like in how he's how he's managed it or you know how he's handled himself. It'd be a different story if like he was a bad character guy, but he's not.
1: I think that the there was a lot of panic when they got off to as rough a start as they did. And that, you know, first of all, the fact that they even got into a bowl game was fluky at five and seven. But then they got into it, and then they beat uh, a decent team. And I think that, you know, they beat UCLA, and I think that probably cooled things a little bit for him. I I mean, first of all, if they had lost uh, that game, they would have had a five five and eight record, which I assume nobody in the history of college football has ever had. Um, That would have looked really well
2: UCLA was six and eight, right?
1: Six. Uh, Yeah, it's really. I mean, it was, it was actually impossible to go five and eight before last year because you couldn't play that extra game with five wins. So, yeah, that would have looked really ugly. That he would have spent eight months staring at five and eight, and and so six and seven teams go six and seven, um, and and that was a good win at the end of the year. And most people expect them to be a lot better this year. But if it were to play out like last year again, that, that is just hard to recover from. I'm not saying they'd fire him after two years. But now you just – you've lost all – like if they were to go 5-7, and seven, I can't imagine many Nebraska fans would have hope that he's still going to lead them to glory.
2: I can't believe you're trying to fire Mike Riley after a less oh, than –
1: I don't want to fire Mike Riley. Um, sounds like still. So. Maybe I read too many – This is punch you in the eye next time she sees you for this. Don't blame me. Blame all those Nebraska fans who are <laughs> they freaking haven't out. haven't done anything.
2: Get off their message boards too.
1: OK. <laughs> All right, Bruce, we will get to emails in a second, but first we have two sponsors for this week's episode that we're excited to tell that you about. That means we're
2: rolling in the dough at the Audible. Who needed SI? We're cruising already. <laughs> wow.
1: Is this is this what is this the first uh, tangible sign of the Sports Illustrated Park, Fox partnership? Ad revenue. All I know off?
2: is we better be getting some of Andy Staples' food money kickback. I think that would be that would be deserved.
1: For people that don't know what we're talking about, SI.com and Fox Sports Digital announced a uh, par- big partnership this week where we will be our sites will be sharing content and sharing ad revenue and and various other things so can we talk about
2: that first and before we get to the sponsor maybe yes. we can do you do you get to now where your old SI fleeces and <laughs> in good faith <laughs> it's
1: a good question um I mean basically um, me and Staples, Thamel, lindsay we're all we're all we're getting the band back together I guess we're theoretically all colleagues right now, and of course, the part I'm most excited about, and which I tweeted immediately, is that Clay Travis and Richard Deitch are now colleagues.
2: Could you imagine if you gave Clay one of your, one of those fleeces, and Clay did like a podcast or whatever his show is, wearing an S.S. Sports Illustrated property of S.I. sweatshirt?
1: I think what he should do that would infuriate Richard to no end is have on— Just be himself.
2: Just be himself.
1: No, he should have on— like to, to you know, the, the, our PR people need to get behind this and to kind like, um, of like show a force, promote this new brand new partnership that he well, – because, you know, Richard hosts a, a great uh, – the Media Circus podcast where he brings on various distinguished guests from around the media world, sports media world. I think Clay should have on his Outkick show, he should bring on an SL Price or a Chris Ballard or a Lee Jenkins and have a really serious conversation about – magazine journalism you can see the steam coming out of the, the straight face stop it yeah all right sponsors the first one is seat geek which is always the first place i go to look for tickets to a game or concert i have the SeatGeek app on my phone and i just used it the other day to look at tickets for journey who's coming to at&t park on september 4th who wouldn't want to see that uh, everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans It does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. SeatGeek does all the work, and you save time and money. Best of all, our listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. So, here's what you got to do. Download the SeatGeek app to your phone. Go to the Settings tab. Click Add a Promo Code. Enter promo code Audible, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code Audible today.
2: All right, Stu, my turn. Um, and I have Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports the Audible. See, they're proud to support the Audible. SeatGeek didn't even go that far. So,
1: Hey, Rocket, don't you, go offending SeatGeek. Rocket Mortgage
2: brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. It's fast, it's powerful, it's completely online. Basically, that's how we describe you, Stu, fast, powerful, and completely online. Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. And as you know, both of us hate equations, so that's good. Hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? Yeah, this is right up my alley. I, I do expense reports like once a year so paperwork. I don't need it. Uh, With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, Stu, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all of this on your phone or tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So, if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a second home, as Stu is right now, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com backslash audible.
1: I'm not looking to buy a second home, but I'm very tempted to uh, use and Loans to do a refinance because the rates right now are ridiculously low. It is it is time for the mailbag. You can send your emails to the pod at gmail.com. Bruce, this first one actually has a, a nice tie-in to what you were your hot seat list that you were talking about earlier. This is from Scott Carey, Bruce and Stewart. The season kickoff is right around the corner. Is it too early for your prediction for this year's Arizona bowl matchup? Actually come to the site on next Monday or Tuesday. I can't remember which one. I will have my bowl projections for the Arizona bowl and every other bowl. But here's the question. He's also wondering what is more likely to happen this year in the SEC West? Three head coaches lose their jobs or three teams finish the season in the top ten?
2: I will say the latter. I think it's three teams finish in the top ten. And From the SEC West, even if you know it's nightmare scenarios at Auburn and Texas a and I mean, would Les Miles be the third person you'd look at who could lose their job? Would it be some kind of horrific scandal that would you know force Freeze out? I just don't know. I, I think it's very plausible that you could have – an undefeated SEC West team, you know, either Alabama or LSU. And then it's possible Ole Miss could be, you know, 9-3, uh, and 10-3, and, and crack the top 10. Agree?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think three is too many coaches that could get fired, but I think it – I don't want to say definite, but it seems highly likely two would. And this is the animal, by the way, that the SEC West created by paying all these coaches – four five six million dollars there's just no leash you know you look at Gus Malzahn you have one bad season and you're on the hot seat Kevin someone, his first year was the most successful season Texas A&M had in probably 15 50 years. years
2: 50 years 50
1: years wow uh I was thinking of the year they actually won the no that's the, World the World first
2: World top season. five finish in 50 years
1: you know Johnny Manziel the best you know most Heisman winner, best player to come through there in a long time. Now he's on the hot seat. You know, Brett Bielema is everybody's favorite guy right now. He's got the new reality show. If they go 6-6 six six this year, he's on the hot seat going into next year. It's just, uh, you know, Saban's really the only one that's probably untouchable. And right I would say Dan Mullen, too. Saban and Dan Mullen, There's your only untouchable ones in the whole division. And we're talking about guys who are, for the most part, regarded as some of the best coaches in the country.
2: All right, ready for next question? Yes. Stu and Bruce, really enjoy the show. Keep up the good work. A couple of things for your next mailbag. One, how can people identify good or bad coordinators? As an example, while I'm a Big Ten fan and know Wisconsin typically has an excellent defense, based on the near universal acclaim of LSU stealing him, I'm not sure I realized just how great Dave Dave Aranda apparently was. How do media members or neutral fans tell the difference between a mediocre coordinator and a good one? And the second part of this question, you guys keep suggesting recommend recommending the pod to others. So I'd like to challenge both of you to give me your best 10-second elevator pitch style description for the show for college football fans. Thank you for your time, Joseph
1: Sura. Okay, let's tackle the second part first. What, your 10-second elevator pitch for the podcast? Yes. Two college football, quote-unquote, experts giving you their firsthand knowledge and expertise and occasionally throwing in questions about marijuana use. Fair enough. Uh, that, I, I won't try to top that. Um, I'll try, so to you, of, okay. try to think of a better one. That's a good question. He asks. You know, with Dave Miranda, you know, as much success as Wisconsin's had going back to Barry Alvarez, they weren't necessarily an elite defensive team every year. You know, maybe some years they were, some years they weren't. They. So I guess the answer to the question is: Look at. Because let's start with the premise that, and this is certainly not 100% true, but, you know, just like you were talking about Stanford's recruiting class at the beginning from 2009, generally speaking, you know which schools are going to get the four and five stars, and you know which schools are going to get the two and three stars and have to overachieve. And Wisconsin's one of those schools, Michigan State's another one of those schools. How did I know Pat Narduzzi was such a great defensive coordinator? Because year after year under D'Antonio, they would produce a top 10 defense without you know teaming with future NFL stars Wisconsin can you name is there a guy on that defense last year that's going to go on to any sort of NFL all pro one whatnot they were one of the best defenses in the country that to me is one way to identify them but it is admittedly harder when you're talking about a Will Muschamp somebody who all of his stops he's been coaching the blue chippers
2: yeah, I would I would tend to agree with you. I mean, look, Dave Aranda had top ten defenses three years in a row at Wisconsin. So, I mean, like you said, I, I look at it on two ends. One, are the guys? Is it a guy working with a lot of new starters and they still have success? There's no drop off. And then the other half, it would be kind of what you said when you look and say, "Hey, this is a top ten defense," despite you know it's not like Dave Aranda um, had a bunch of JJ Watts out there. know, Joe Schrobert was a really good player last year, but it wasn't like you looked in the secondary and saw a bunch of high round picks. So I think the talent is is not quite what he's got is certainly not at the level of what he's inherited at at uh, LSU.
1: Another one that falls in that category, Don Brown. Why did Jim Harbaugh swoop up Don Brown? Because he had the number one defense in the country last year at Boston College, who, by the way, was terrible as a team, but still produced the number one defense.
2: Good anecdote here. Like, so when I talked to Jordan Lewis, the All-American cornerback at Michigan, I said, what did you know about Don Brown before he got there? And he, goes, he kept on referring to him as Dr. Blitz. He goes, I had never heard anything about him. And then we were in the hotel before a game and Florida State was playing BC on a Friday night. And I was like, how in the world is BC hanging with Florida State? Is, I, and it just came, it kept on coming up as this is the defensive coordinators doing this. And they didn't. I don't think they allowed an offensive touchdown that game. I think BC, uh, BC may have given up a pick six or some kind of recovery touchdown, but it was just making it where it seems like the guy's doing it with mirrors. And I think with defensive guys, it's a little harder to get a read. I mean, I, there's a good example of you know guys don't get smarter or dumber. You know, typically it's you know it's a lot of circumstance that happens into it. But David Gibbs. When he was at Houston, I thought did a really terrific job. You look back; it wasn't. It's not fluky. They led the country in like forced tur- in uh, turnovers forced like consecutive years. One year is one thing, but to do it again, I think is says you really got something. Now he goes to Texas Tech, and they were god awful last year. I don't think he got dumber. I mean, he did have a little bit of a different defensive staff, but I think it's just a lot of circumstances factor into it.
1: I remember that Friday night BC uh, Florida State game. We were in L.A. for the uh, Countdown to Kickoff show on Friday night. Dalvin Cook, who is, you know, one of the best running backs in the country, Heisman contender and whatnot, he got hurt in that game, I recall, because I'm looking here and he only had two carries the next week. But before he got hurt, 15 carries, 54 yards, 3.6 yards a carry. This is a guy who in his other games averaged 8.2, 8.9, 10.1, 7.4, and so on. I mean, that's Don Brown. And now he's doing it with, you know, Michigan recruits some of the best talent in the country. So, um, watch out. Uh, Bruce and Stu. This is from Chris Miller. Love the pod. Question for you on the ACC and its perception nationally. The ACC is the second most NFL draft picks over the past 10 years. It is rarely considered by fans of the media as the second or even third best football conference. But this year's Fox preseason poll, and I'm not sure which one he's referring to, has five ranked ACC teams. Clemson at two, FSU at four, quasi-member Notre Dame at nine. I don't think you get to claim that. UNC at 20 and Louisville at 24, and Miami just outside at 26. Could this finally be the year the ACC makes the jump to being the second, either in perception or reality, second-best football conference behind the SEC?
2: I think it could. I mean, look, the, the school you just wrote a lot about, Louisville, we both think they're going to be really good. We both, I mean, I think Clemson's going to win the national title. I think Florida State, you know, is capable of going to the playoff, too. Let's take a, like take Notre Dame out of the equation because they're still technically independent. I think UNC is good. Uh, Miami has one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I think Miami can win eight games. There is a, a bottom of the conference. Like, everybody has, you know, a Kansas. If it's not Kansas this year, I think the Pac-12 has Oregon State. CU's been down. When I look at the bottom of the ACC, you know, it's not like Duke is a punchline anymore. Duke's respectable. But, you know, Wake Forest has been awful in the first couple of years under Dave Clawson. and they got to get better soon. BC, like you mentioned, was really bad last year. Now they were banged up. We'll see how much better they can be. They did lose Don Brown. I thought that's a huge loss. But uh, it felt like, especially in Miami's division, you know, it just felt like there's a lot of mediocrity. I mean, we both think North Carolina is pretty good. You're a little more down on Virginia Tech than I am. You know, we both think Pittsburgh's pretty good. I think the the reputation of the of the ACC did not go in the toilet overnight. It's gonna have. It probably will take more than one one or two big years to get it fixed. The area where I think they're kind of down or were down for a lot of that decade was aside from Jameis Winston. I didn't feel like there was a lot of elite quarterbacks in that conference, so you see some good defensive talent, but I just didn't see a lot more. I'm not saying there was nobody, but you'd be hard pressed. You know who are the five, excluding the Deshaun Watson, who would you think would be the five best ACC quarterbacks of the last decade?
1: Reggie Ball. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you're right. It went through a very. There was a year when they had. And this is a long time ago now. Philip Rivers, Matt Schaub, and some other guys. And then they just went through about a decade of um, of misery. And, in fact, it really paralleled, you know, when you think about it, Florida State's kind of the standard bearer in that conference. And after Chris Wenke left, the rest of Bobby Bowden's tenure, they never he just never could find a quarterback. And then Jimbo Fisher comes in and produces three straight first-rounders. We'll see what DeAndre Francois does. You know the narrative of the ACC has changed quite a bit in the last few years. You remember, for so long it was they just got so bashed. I believe they were like two and eleven in BCS games. Somebody will correct me on that. I mean, they went through a long period where they not only were they not contending for national titles, they weren't winning the big bowl games. And now, in the last three years, you've had Florida State win a national title, Clemson play in the title game, Florida State reach the playoff the next year, and now. Two preseason top five teams, so I would put the top of the ACC up against anybody's, including the SECs. It's like you said, there's a you get down to about five, six, and so on. There's a lot, still a lot of mediocrity. I I don't think it'll be the second best conference this year, but I could see that happening sometime in the near future because they've really upgraded the coaches. You know, getting a Mark Rick to come in and coach in, to Miami, getting Justin Fuente to Virginia Tech, getting Pat Narduzzi to Pitt last year. I just feel like a lot of these teams have potential. Why don't you skip down I found the game. Why don't you skip down to and read me Adam Woods?
2: Okay. Uh hey
1: guys, I love the podcast
2: and regularly listen a couple of times a week when I run in the mornings. My question for you is about a game you talked about last year. I don't remember all the details, but it sounded fun. The basic gist was you had so many wins you got to spend to pick four teams based on last year's win total, something like that. You want to draft the best rosters of the teams with the highest win total for the year. Could you guys refresh us on the game? I hate that there is no FanDuel or DraftKings this year. Adam Wood from Mississippi.
1: Funny he made that comment. about There's a long ESPN uh, Don Van Natta Jr.'s uh, investigation into the, you remember like last year's season, you, we did a DraftKings challenge right here on the podcast and, uh, a year later, there are no college games on DraftKings. They've been shut down in several states. They're, temp, you know, t- putting back. The, or they're not going to do the advertising blitz that they did. Um, man, it was it was an interesting article to read about just how quickly that industry rose and then fell. I found the game he's talking about, and it's funny. I thought we did it going into last season, but actually we did it earlier this off season. And I wish I had the, <laughs> the answers that I came up with. Ed McAvoy. On March 1st, sent us this. We have a neat football pool concept. You pick five teams with a win total from the previous year of no more than 40 wins, an average of eight wins per team. The person with the most total wins for the current year wins the pool. So in other words, pick five teams from last year whose wins add up to 40, who you are most confident will give you the most combined wins this year. In other words, we'll go from 40 to, say, 55. Um, The 2015 winners reached 55 wins with Western Kentucky, who won 12, Auburn, who won 7, Oklahoma State, who won 10, Stanford, who won 12, and Clemson, who won 14. Hmm. We'll put some thought into that. I I guess we'll do it again, but we're not going to do it on the spot right now. We'll have to put some thought into that and give you our answers before the first games. Uh, Finally, Bruce, this is a great suggestion for you.
2: We actually have two questions left, too, Let's go
1: quick. Well, okay. Read me the one. I don't know which one you're referring to. Uh, okay. Um, Stu and Bruce, great podcast. You guys
2: cuss like Michael Rappaport on the Bill Simmons podcast. I didn't. I didn't hear that, but did I've heard
1: him curse on other podcasts? Uh,
2: cuss more than uh, Ben Affleck did on the Simmons HBO show, right? I would find that hard to believe. Uh, quick question. Everyone's top five basically has the same five teams in different order. Bama and LSU from the SEC, Clemson and FSU from the ACC, and Oklahoma. Which conference has the better shot of getting two teams in the playoff, the SEC with Bama and LSU or the ACC with Clemson and Florida State? Also, if this happens, will it accelerate the move to an 18 team playoff? Thanks again. Jason Gorlewski, who I feel like we correspond with more than our relatives these days.
1: He asks good questions. Yes. does. Um, You know, I've said that if you were asking me which combination of those two do you feel more confident will be in the mix at the end, I would say Clemson and Florida State. But which one, if they pull it off, would have the better chance, Bama and LSU, just because they're going to play – you know, we've talked about it time and again. The committee keeps emphasizing top 25 wins. Bama and LSU are probably going to play and beat more if they get to the, that point. They're going to play and beat more top 25 teams. You, know, you look at Clemson and FSU, who both open with you know SEC opponents. Uh, FSU in particular plays an Ole Miss team that's ranked to start the season, and they'll end the season with a Florida team that's ranked to start the season. The problem is how many ranked teams are they going to play in conference play? So let's say Clemson and FSU, they meet in late October – FSU beats Clemson, and that's the only loss Clemson has. And you're now considering whether they should be uh, a playoff team without winning the division. Who would be their top twenty-five wins at that point if they haven't beaten Florida State?
2: Yeah, it's it's a thin list. I mean, it's hard to say who could you know pop into the top twenty-five. I mean, Miami's a fringe could be a fringe top twenty-five team.
1: I mean, Florida State would have the Clemson win, and then they would go to the championship game and probably play another top twenty-five team. So that's so now let's play it the other way. Bama and LSU meet in November. We'll say Bama wins. We'll say Bama wins, Bama loses to somebody else. If they're a one loss SEC champ, they're gonna get in. LSU, now you're trying to say okay, they're one loss team, they didn't win their division, but they would have beaten Wisconsin. Uh you know, and then any number of SEC conference opponents, including Florida, their crossover team, you know, probably they're gonna play three or four. Uh, Top 25 teams or beat three or four top 25 teams if they finish 11 and 1. Clemson may only play one or two.
2: One other possible, you know, uh, wild card in this let's say Houston beats Oklahoma, not out of the realm of possibility. Which
1: you've suggested 8 million times this offseason.
2: And then Oklahoma beats Ohio State. Oklahoma wins the Big 12. And so they have a good year. Houston goes 11 and or goes 12 and 1 wins their conference. But their one loss is to Louisville on that Thursday night at Houston. I think that would prop up the ACC quite a bit.
1: Oh, I follow you. You're saying how that would benefit Louisville, not Houston. Correct. Gotcha. Let's end with a suggestion for your health. Uh, Bruce and Stu, this is from Jake. Thanks for doing the Audible. It's our favorite national college football podcast, and you both give great perspective. That should be the 10-second elevator pitch right there. Um, I'm writing regarding Bruce's illness that was referenced in the last podcast. Bruce mentioned that once you start sending your kids to school, you get sick more often. This is the truth. I am a cop in real life, and my current assignment is lecturing in K-12 schools, and I also have three school-age kids at home. When I started that gig a few years back, I was getting horrible colds every other month. It was worse than when I was a rookie in the jails. About 18 months ago, I got in better shape, but part of that process was eating approximately 10 to 12 ounces of blueberries, raspberries, and blackberries every morning. I haven't had a real cold since. How are you doing on your berry consumption? Uh,
2: I'm okay. Actually, my wife is, whenever I, because we feed our kids a lot of blueberries and they're loaded in antioxidants. So that I kind of knew about. It's just the idea of um, getting a lot of fresh fruit is, is like it's going to the grocery store all uh, often. It's, you know, it's, it's not a convenience thing, unfortunately. Do you have Instacart? I do not.
1: I haven't been to the grocery store in as long as I can remember because we, and granted, here in Silicon Valley, you can get anything delivered. We have Instacart. We order all our groceries, they all come to right to our door. You haven't been
2: to like a Ralph's or a Vaughn's since you've been out there?
1: Oh, I, no, not that long. And I'm exaggerating a little bit. I've been, you know, occasionally you're out on the go and you pop in somewhere, but like in terms of like regular grocery orders, Eggs, strawberries, fruit, uh, cereal—all that stuff—it comes right to our door. Um, and I start every morning with a bowl of oatmeal, with strawberries, blackberries, and sometimes blueberries. And I think I've only gotten maybe one cold in the last 12 months. So, of course, I only also don't have a—you know—our baby six months old; she's not going to daycare yet, so I haven't experienced this this phenomenon that you guys are describing. Yeah, we have a
2: friend. Who's is an NBA beat writer, Bill Orham, and his son went to uh, was in our twins daycare for a little bit of time, and he actually said, "We can't go; it's like a petri dish of bad uh, <laughs> of illness." And his wife is like an emergency room nurse, so she's around. Like you know, it's like it's like the guy who just gave us a question who's you know talking about like work environment where you're kind of more susceptible to it. And they were like, "Now oh, we're gonna we're gonna keep." Keep Teddy, that's our little boy, at home to avoid all the uh, all the germs.
1: Yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day who was like, you know, keep your keep your dog, keep Madeline at home for as long as possible because when she starts going to daycare, you will constantly be having to like interrupt work to go pick her up from daycare because she'll be sick. All
2: right, I think on that note.
1: Well, I also just want I want to clarify, like I don't want to make myself out to be a picture of health just because I eat strawberries in the morning. I'm saying I agree with him. But, um, I don't think they're a picture of health, too. I don't think anyone has that. Has that, has that you, you've uh, seen me recently, so you know I'm not a picture of health. Yeah. All right. Uh, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. It's hard to believe, but next time we do one of these podcasts, there will have been a college football game in the books, that Cal-Hawaii game. And, and I just can't wait. Next week we're going to get to – I mean not that we haven't mentioned some of these opening week games during the offseason, but we will get to really break them down because they're going to be that weekend. Can't wait! I can tell from your voice, you can't wait. As <laughs> always, if you enjoy the audible, you should subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And you should tell ten of your friends. Use that elevator pitch that I uh I gave you. Hey about Stu, while you're ago. going, I
2: think maybe we should tease something else that we can. We should announce.
1: It's funny. You, we didn't plan this, but I was just thinking the same thing.
2: Okay, so drum what's going to happen?
1: Please, drum roll, please.
2: What's going to happen on week one, Stu? Right. What new thing for our Audible listeners can we, can we bring forth to a new platform?
1: All right. We're very pleased to announce that we are going multimedia here. Um, every weekend this season on Saturdays, you will want to have your phone handy. I'm sure you will anyway. And we are going to go live on Facebook throughout the day, but in particular end of night after the big primetime games have been played. Uh, one of us will be in studio in L.A., usually me. One of us will be remote, usually you, because you're doing sidelines. Uh, Kristen Balboni will be our host. And uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of the conversations, kind of conversations you have, uh, a lot of the conversations you hear us have on Monday mornings on the Audible about, oh my gosh, Ohio State lost. What does that mean for the playoff race going forward? How did the Heisman race change? What coach is now more likely to get fired? Why wait till Monday? We're going to go ahead and have it on Saturday on facebook live we're really excited about it
2: yeah and because a lot lot of people i think by the end of saturday night you've seen all the highlights even by early saturday night probably 20 times from the early games you kind of numb to them i what we think people really want to hear is what does it all mean and put it into context and we're going to try to do that on saturday nights and hopefully you guys will join us and uh hopefully we'll uh We'll be able to kind of tease what we have going forward from that. Yeah, there. I'm
1: curious to see if our theory is right. That's a theory we've held for about a year now. We were uh, watching TV on a Saturday night, and we were seeing a highlight being played of a Virginia Tech game that took place at noon Eastern. And we said to our, each other, "I don't think people still want to see this at this point. I think they're more interested in the game that not just the not the highlights of the game that just got played, but the what does this mean?" So, and we feel like there's a little bit of a void in that in the. Uh, Digital or TV world right now, although for all we know, five other companies are hatching the same plan right now. So uh, we'll give you more details as it gets closer, but certainly we will be – even though it's a Facebook product, we'll be tweeting it out uh, throughout the day on Saturdays whenever we're about to go live.
2: All right. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon.